Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Hokies Press Pass podcast alongside Andy Bitter, Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, the sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have a packed show for you today. Obviously, it is spring game week, and we will get into that. We'll preview what we're looking for there. But Andy also got a look at an open practice. We'll, we'll kind of break that down, what he saw there, what stood out to him. Uh and then we'll hit uh, a little bit of other topics at the end. We'll hit on the ACC title game coming back to, to Carolina, to Charlotte, and uh, Stag Bowl leaving the area, and also uh, Louis C.K., which I think is a necessary discussion. And the, the Pimpleton Minute is back in play. Uh, that's huge. That's what you wanted. Yeah. That's, that's all that you wanted, quite honestly. It is. I mean, I really was going to boycott this. You could have done it with Barber, for all I cared. If you, but you did get to see Pimpleton, and we will get to the Pimpleton minute. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about the open practice itself. I mean, uh, it's a rare occurrence for for the Hokies to allow fans or uh, media to to any of their practices. You got to go and see what? How long did you get to? About an hour. Okay. What? What was? I mean. Your overall takeaway, just a general thought of what, what all you saw out there. Anything just blow your mind when you were there? Uh, no. <laughs> now, you know, put this disclaimer out there beforehand, and I have said this a lot of times in the blog post. We haven't seen a lot of practice, so anything we say about this, you know, take it with a grain of salt. This is one hour of uh, 13 spring practices that they've had so far. So I, I put that out front. Like anything I say, it's like, who knows? This might have just been one thing that they did in this one particular practice or a guy had a pretty good day. I don't want to uh, have it speak for the entire spring practice. But, you know, I, I think at this stage of spring ball, you kind of saw what you normally see at this stage of spring balls. The defense is ahead of the offense. I don't think that's uh, unusual just for Virginia Tech. I think that's just the nature of things. I mean, the, the offense always kind of you know strips it down to the bare essentials to start spring ball, and especially this year with the Hokies, it's a bunch of young guys they're trying to get up to speed with the offense and you know kind of get their rhythm with everything. And uh, with the defense, I think there's always just a lot more continuity there. Offense is about timing and and getting everything down and expanding the playbook, whereas defense kind of has a base look and they don't have to get too complicated to be able to shut some things down, especially if the offense isn't clicking on or hitting on all cylinders. So uh, I think the big takeaway is right now the offense looks a little behind the defense, but I think that's that's normal for this time of year. And I think I think Justin Fuente said that as much. I think he says in his career as a coach he's never seen an offense that's really ahead of the defense at this stage of spring well despite your disclaimer it, it appears that wide receiver caleb farley is on his way to an all-american career here at virginia tech <laughs> let's let's just expand this out for the rest of his career and jump to all sorts of conclusions on it well he impressed you though i mean in a little bit of, that you got to see of him he was he was looking pretty good yeah well the interesting thing was we had just spoken to to fuente and a few coaches beforehand and uh you know we didn't know much about where he was working so we're asking and you know Fuente's like well he started out at cornerback we've had him do a little bit of receiver stuff and we asked bud about him uh, and, you know, love him as a cornerback. Dyna- he said dynamic twice in like five words. That's how much he likes him as a cornerback. So, you know, we're all sitting there thinking, you know, defense is probably where this guy's going to wind up. And that's probably where his career will head. And then uh, we see him out in the field. And he's wearing a white jersey, which was the offensive color that day. And uh, I don't think he worked any at defensive back. I, I think he was almost exclusively a, a receiver. 
And he was making plays all over the field. I mean, it was pretty impressive. And like I say, this is one hour of one practice that we've seen this spring, but uh, caught a couple touchdown passes, you know, uh, caught a nice ball up the sideline on the fade pattern against Brandon Faison. Uh, was going up against Adonis Alexander a couple times. I think he caught a pass or two. Uh, burned Javon Quillen on a one-on-one deal where he just beat him off the line and got downfield and caught a pass for a touchdown, uh, probably a 30-35. It was a one-on-one drill, but I mean, it's still a touchdown pass. Uh, so just impressed with him overall. And, and you, you look at this receiver core and you go, where are the playmakers going to come from? That was a big question coming into the season is – uh, you lose Isaiah Ford, you lose Bucky Hodges. You're going to need guys to step into those roles. And, you know, I think Farley is a guy who was a real playmaker in high school, played quarterback uh, coming out of North Carolina. Uh, you know, he looks like he has that playmaking gene. Uh, looks like somebody who could get open and could be a real factor on the offense. And you look at receiver compared to cornerback right now, uh, you know, they have Brandon Faison, Adonis Alexander, Greg Stroman coming back at cornerback. I think long-term the depth becomes an issue at cornerback, and maybe that's why they wanted to start him there. But uh, in the now, receiver is really where they need guys to step up. And uh, the way he looked the other day, I have to think he might be a factor there. What was the what was the format like? I mean, how were you able to follow everything that was going on out there? Was it split into groups or they you just chose what to watch? Or? Well, they moved fast and they did some positional work and then they split into groups and you know every now and then they come together for an eleven on eleven and that's when you really perk up and pay attention. Uh, honestly, I, I paid a lot more attention to the quarterbacks and the receivers than I did uh, the defensive side when they're down there, you know, doing you know, middle drill type stuff. I'm, I'm still watching the receivers throwing and or receivers catching and the quarterbacks throwing. Uh, you know, it is nice every now and then they come together and do some one versus one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you kind of take note of what's going on. And e- even in the spring, that's tough to tell though, because you know the first team defense right now has a defensive line that's not going to look anything uh, like what it's going to look like in the fall. And you know, a couple other guys out in the secondary, so uh, it's tough. And that's again why I say don't read too much into to what we're seeing from this one thing. But you know, you can get a little bit of a snapshot of of how things are going. Well, you mentioned the quarterbacks. All three quarterbacks all three candidates for the job were in action at the practice. How did they look? Anybody stand out? You know, I wouldn't say there were any standouts. I think a little, little ragged, a little rough around the edges, which again is to be expected. Uh, you know, Josh Jackson threw a couple of interceptions. Uh, I don't know how much his receivers helped him out on those plays. So uh, again, it comes down to the supporting cast. Is, is it that the, the quarterback making a bad decision with the throw or receiver didn't make the, the right you know, run the right route or run as crisp of a route or make as good of a break on a ball as you'd like. Uh, A.J. Bush certainly looked a lot more mobile of the quarterbacks, uh, certainly more than Josh Jackson. Uh, you know, he threw a pick, too, and a double coverage up the sideline. Terrell Edmonds kind of, I don't know if he baited him into the throw, but uh, he came over the top with Alexander having the coverage and had an interception near the sideline. Seemed like they did a lot more run-pass type stuff where – uh, th- there was a play last year where Sam Rogers really was effective on it, where he, he, they, it, they make it look like a quarterback draw going toward the line. And then Sam Rogers was sort of released over the middle. They ran this in the ACC title game for a big game. Uh, Gerard Evans, the rushing threat that he was, the defense had to be so aware of that and come up on that. And AJ Bush ran that play and I, I forget who he completed the pass to over the middle, but it, it was a good pass and it went for a decent amount of yards. Uh, Hendon Hooker, the freshman, you know, I sort of had ruled him out just based on age and maturity, and you know, it's tough for a true freshman to come in there and play. 
Uh, he worked a lot against the second team. So again, I, I you know kind of put a reservations on this, but he didn't look overwhelmed. You know, sometimes you see freshmen out there, they just look overwhelmed. Like mm-hmm. this guy, there's no chance that he's going to compete. I wouldn't say he looked overwhelmed. You know, he ran the ball pretty fluidly, uh, looked pr- pretty good out there, uh, made some good decisions to just maybe not force the ball into some windows that weren't open, uh, tuck it and run or check down, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, of, of the three guys out there, he didn't throw a pick, obviously not against the first team either. So, you know, you don't have that caliber of defense that you're facing. But I, I think maybe I discounted him a little bit too much in this competition. I, I think maybe he could be a factor, but I, I still think right now Jackson and, and Bush are the top two guys. Yeah, I, I dismissed him too. I did it here and I did it in print. I have seen video of him in high school. And I get, you know, again, grain of salt, it's high school video, you know, in, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. But. He throws a pretty ball based on what I saw there. And, he, you know, he does. I mean, he was obviously faster than everybody, all the secondary players he was dashing through uh, as as a high school player. And he, he, I, I agree with you that the smoothness was there in his running gait. I mean, he looks like uh, a guy who just feels very comfortable with the ball in his hands running down the field. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that could be valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, honestly, I look at this quarterback setup and I – you never think that they would use two quarterbacks because Fuente never has, but I think there's a, a lot of things that the guys maybe bring differently to the field. I, I think Bush is a much better runner than Jackson is. I think Jackson maybe is a better thrower than Bush is. And if that's the case, uh, you know, it wouldn't be that far-fetched to imagine a, a scenario where more than one guy plays. Now, you know, Fuente has never done that in his career. I mean, you look at his history, and uh, first of all, he's had incredible health with his quarterbacks. Uh, which you know, Norm Wood of the Daily Press asked him that last week, and he just like rolled his eyes, like, "Are you kidding? You're asking me about the health of my quarterbacks? Like, why don't you just, you know, throw a black cat at me while you're at it?" Uh, you know, but I think it could be a situation where you could you could see a, a scenario where two guys play. I don't know if he's necessarily going to go that way, but. I think more so this year than maybe uh, last year. That could be a possibility. Well, here's an idea. Uh, you know, I've learned this from Bronco Mendenhall. How about after one snap, you take the quarterback out, put in the other one. Well, that's then not the way snap, to do it. You put in a third one. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that's what you have to avoid. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's why these coaches always go with one guy because you can just shake a guy's confidence by taking him out after every play. You ruin any sort of continuity. I mean, that's that's how not to do it. But I think there's a way to do it effectively where if you have a primary guy and a secondary guy comes in as a change of pace or something like that, uh, I think you can do that effectively in certain situations. It's, it's a delicate act. I mean, it's tough to do. I mean, even – uh, you know, a couple of years ago, North Carolina was doing that. They had Marquise Williams, and then they brought in this backup, Mitch Trubisky. Everybody's like, why are they doing this? Why are they forcing this guy? It's like, oh, Trubisky is actually pretty good. He turns out to be a pretty good quarterback. Uh, not so good against the Hokies that one year. Kendall Fuller uh, had a pick six off of him in like the, the three plays that Mitch Trubisky played in that game. But you can see why these coaches, uh, there's a diversity of skill set there that – uh, they try to get these guys in the game because you know they can they can do different things on the field. Do you remember Bud Foster's post game reaction to that question? Like, what, did they surprise you with your quarterback scenario? He he just bluntly said, "I had no idea what they were trying to do with that," <laughs> and this basically <laughs> spoke for all of us. I mean, none of us knew what the heck they were doing with that. So yes, I don't expect uh, all three coming in on multiple snaps. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, obviously, I think the. the in the spring game, these quarterbacks are going to get a really nice test because this this defensive backfield is good. Uh, you you talked about it looking good in the practice, making a bunch of picks. Uh, you know how is that defensive 
secondary coming together, everybody pretty healthy on that side? And, or yeah. how's it looking? Well, Greg Stroman's out for the spring, so that's the guy you're missing. Mook Reynolds, who's not technically a secondary member. I mean, he is. He's sort of that nickelback outside linebacker guy, so he's sort of partial DBU. I'm sure he wouldn't say that if you asked him. He would say he's, he's 100% DBU. But, uh, you know, Adonis Alexander looked really good. I mean, he, he's, he's a guy who's – if you're going to you know, pick out the body type for a corner, I mean, he's 6'3", 190 pounds, physical guy, uh, can run like crazy. I mean, it, just everything about him, you look at and you go, that should be a really good cornerback. And I think the mental side of the game is starting to catch up to that physical attributes that, you know, he's in, in, in his finishing his second full year at Virginia Tech. It'll be his third year next fall. I think sometimes that's sort of where you see that mental side of things catch up for guys because they've been around it a couple of years. They've been in the meeting rooms for a while, uh, you know, really become students of the game and it starts to make sense for them. Uh, so that's an encouraging sign for the Hokies. I think Terrell Edmonds looks very good at free safety. Uh, switching over from Rover, he seems to really have command of the defense on the back end there. And, you know, Faison looks healthy. I mean, he looked like, he, you know, we, we talked to Adonis Alexander before spring practice or that practice. Uh, and Adonis is saying that he and Faison sort of have an interception competition at practice. And even though Faison hasn't had one in a game in a long time, 32 games, he's actually winning that competition. Now, this was before Adonis had two at the spring practice, so I don't know if that's changed since then. But uh, that has to be encouraging. Now, Faison's a, a good cornerback. I don't, you know, people harp on the interception thing, but uh, he's a much better cornerback than he was a couple years ago, and he finally has a, a, a run of health here going. So uh, the fact that he has that, I, I think that's uh, a good sign for him going into his senior season. Then, you, you know, you get Stroman back, you have another cornerback in the rotation. Uh, you get Devin Hunter coming in as the, you know, super freshman, going to compete probably with Reggie Floyd for that rover spot. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the top five or six guys in that secondary looks really, really good right now. On paper, that is a very good uh, part of this defense. Okay, it's time. It's time. The Pimpleton Minute. We didn't outsource this for a song. We, we, need, we need somebody to come up with a song here. You he's only a freshman. There. He could be here for four years, potentially. Clark Ruland, I'm looking at you. Maybe you can come up with something. Anybody else out there in the audience has an, a song for the Pimpleton Minute. Now, you put this on hold because you said, look, I have to see the guy or talk to the guy before I can do this. My contribution to this discussion, this minute, is going to be that I have given him a new nickname. His first name is Khalil, and I am calling him Real Deal Khalil from now on. Uh, oh, you're going with the first first name nickname? When yeah. you have a last name like Pimpleton, I think you have to go with that. There are a lot of Khalils out there. There's another Khalil on the football team. There's no real deals out there like this guy. So you saw him. What'd you think? That's a boxing nickname. That's what they would give a boxer as a nickname. That's the lazy. He's like, ah, oh, it rhymes with deal. He's the real deal. <laughs> well, longtime Hokie fans will recall the Texas A&M quarterback that they faced in College Station, real deal Reggie McNeil. And uh, I think real deal Khalil is, is right along those lines. I mean, it's, it's a good nickname. I can see it on a poster. I don't know about that. Okay. What'd you think of Khalil? Uh, well, I thought they targeted him quite a bit. Uh, you know, the, there were a lot of receivers that weren't getting a whole lot of work. Eric Kuma's hurt. Henry Murphy's hurt. Uh, Cam Phillips didn't do a whole lot when we were out there. He looked like he had a little gimp in his, 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 uh, giddy up, hitching his giddy up. Is that what the phrase is? Uh, I'll call Frank and ask. He, he wasn't in a blue jersey or anything like that. I just saw him run across the field and I thought maybe he'd done something to his foot or something like that. But, uh, the top receivers out there were Farley. Uh, Phil Patterson, who was in a blue jersey too, he's a redshirt freshman, and Khalil Pimpleton in the slot. 
you know, CJ Carroll is out this spring. So this is sort of an opportunity for Pimpleton to, to show what he can do. And, uh, you know, he looked like a shifty, elusive guy out there. It looked like they were trying to get him the ball a lot, uh, a lot of screens and stuff like that, where they pass it out wide to him. I think he's just somebody that they want to get the ball in his hands and then go, just go. Like you sort of have that natural uh, playmaking ability. And, uh, you know, if the practice is any indication, I think he's going to be, uh, you know, not a featured part of this offense, but a, part, a big part of this offense if they're going to try to get the ball in his hands. Uh, and like I said before, they don't have a lot of, uh, you know, proven commodities at receiver right now. Not a lot of experienced guys. So if there's somebody like that, that uh, the coaches really like uh, to get the ball to, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for him to touch it this year. Well, I asked you before the, the spring started, you know, what did you think of the running back scenario? And you said flatly, I don't know. I mean, it was a very cloudy situation. I think it's still pretty cloudy, but maybe a little bit of clarity being gained there, or at least you saw something that may, maybe – Thinned the herd a, a little? Or? Well, you know, we asked Fuente about it, and as usual, he wasn't very uh, chatty about the running backs. He, you know, he did say that, you know, Trayvon McMillan and Stephen Peoples have had good springs. Uh, they're probably ahead of the other guys right now, but, you know, that's not saying too much. Deshaun McLeese has been in blue. He's still, you know, coming off shoulder surgery from last year, so he's not full contact right now. Uh, DJ Reed is a, a guy that sounds like a little bit further back in his development than the other guys. Uh, Terrius Wheatley is new. He's a uh, prep school guy from Fork Union, so he hasn't exactly gotten a ton of work, I think. Uh, so, you know, you look at the, the field, and you would expect Trayvon and Stephen Peoples, the two guys who have had the most experience, to be at the top of that group. I will say, you know, in the middle drill that they were doing, it did look like the running backs were running really hard. And I, I don't know if that was a function of me having not seen a lot of football in a while. <laughs> like, oh, this is full action. Like, yeah, that that's how football normally is. I don't know if that's what it's like or if, or if that's a change from the past. Uh, it just seemed like they were hitting the hole very hard. I don't know if that's a change this year, but uh, it, it was something that was striking to me when I was watching it. So I think Trayvon, Stephen Peoples both look good out there in the practice, the limited time we do. And again, I'll you know couch that statement by saying – who knows if they've been like that for the entire practice, but uh, maybe an encouraging sign for the running game if those guys are, are coming along. Which questions does Fuente do? Does Fuente hate answering more quarterbacks or workload questions for running backs? I mean, or is it a, a draw there? I mean, that's pretty. Well, number one is injuries. Okay. And you know, you know, at the top of that is injuries to his quarterback, <laughs> as we found out last week. Right. Don't even like ask historically about how, even if it's like a positive thing, he's he doesn't want to talk about it. Uh yeah, I'm trying. It probably the quarterbacks. I I think maybe he's he doesn't like to talk about the quarterback stuff as much, uh, because he just doesn't want to give away what he's thinking there. But I think he doesn't like talking about the running backs because it's the same question every time. And I feel like he gives an answer, but like, it's like, for some reason it's not satisfying to anybody. <laughs> not to us, no. I mean, he'll, he'll give the answers like, guys, I don't care <laughs> who gets the yards as long as they're running the ball. And of course, Virginia tech reporters like myself, Virginia tech fans on the message boards have seen a certain way that Virginia tech has run the ball for all these years. So I was like, so who's going to be the featured <laughs> back? And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, to my credit, I've like stopped asking. <laughs> you know, it, it's over for. I, you know, this happened last year. Like, I'm gonna stop asking about running backs. And like, is is a featured guy gonna emerge? Uh, try to approach those questions in different ways. But he still gets asked about it. It's like the running game. 
who's going to be the top guy this year? And it's always like, you know, it could be one guy this game. It could be one guy this game. You know, it's not always the the uh, the guy who has the best running skills is going to be the starting running back. If he's a good blocker, that may be just as important in the kind of plays that they're running. Uh, certainly if it's a jet sweep type thing, you have to have a, a lead blocker that can get out there and, and you know, seal the edge so the guy can get uh, into the open field. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's sort of different approaches to that, but I, I'm sure he, he'll hear the question he, internally. Maybe he'll roll his eyes at it each time uh, for both the quarterback, who's the bet top quarterback and who is, is uh, going to get the most carries. Well, if we get late in the press conference on Saturday and nobody's asked it, I will ask it <laughs> just, just to see. The no, I probably will not because you're right. I mean, we are, we are trained. We've been trained for many, many years to seek out the running back who's going to be the number one and then you know, laud him and, and praise him and, and find out more about him. And it's, you know, cause you do want to give those guys love that position. You want to give it love. It's a featured position in, in football. Um, and it's, you know, you don't want to just say, well, their stable of backs is ready to go and you got to talk to all four of them or whatever. I mean, you just, you want to just have a guy. And yeah. And it's also like the question, like how much is your quarterback going to run? Are you going to lean heavily on him? It's like, I don't know. Like, we'll see how the game goes. Like there were games where Gerard did not have a huge workload. Then there were other ones where he was the primary ball carrier. And I think, uh, I mean, it all kind of comes back to, you know, what is the defense giving you? What look, are they taking away the, the traditional running backs? Okay. And, you know, Pitt kind of did that. They had to go to the jet sweep type things to get any kind of uh, yards on the ground uh, or just, you know, throw up the 50-50 balls in the air. I mean, they, they adapt their offense to what the defense is showing them quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I think he's proven over the years that he's got a pretty keen offensive mind. He knows what he's doing uh, to get production out of offenses that, you know, maybe shouldn't be getting that much production. Yeah. All right. Spring game. Saturday, 3 o'clock, right? Uh, 2.30. 2.30. 2.30. 2.30. Is there a mission at all or canned food or anything like that? I know they've done no, that in the a, past. No, it's free, okay. free to the public. Okay, so no no requirements to do I don't think or, so. I'd have okay. to check that, but I, I don't think so. So set your charity aside for the weekend. Have some oh, yeah, you can come still, still donate to charity if you want. It's, like, no, it's stopping you from donating to charity. If, if Frank doesn't say, you know, Frank or Witt or, or Justin, they don't say... Bring the canned food. You don't bring the canned food, man. You save that canned food. Anyway, let's get to the format first because you've written about it. Uh, in fact, it's been a little, little while since you wrote about it because it was like a week, week and a half or two weeks ago that they said what it would be. But we haven't talked about it on here. What is the format? Uh, what will what will it look like? Uh, it'll look like it did last year. I mean, they have short quarters. I think it's four 12-minute quarters. Quarterbacks are off limits. It'll be an offense versus defense format where – uh, you know, the offensive points are as you would see them with a you know, touchdown, field goal, extra point. Uh, defensively, they can get points for a turnover, for a defensive stop. Uh, what was the other one? Hold on. Yeah, turnover is seven points, three points for three and out, and one point for a defensive stop. So I guess I'm trying to think if you get a defensive stop that is a turnover, that that would be – just mega points for the defense. I don't know. They kind of fudge the rules sometimes to make this thing closer than it is. But I think with the injuries that they had, uh, especially on the defensive line, I mean, they really only, they barely have enough for a two deep. So it's not like they could split into two teams and, and go against each other. Uh, this is a good way to do it. You can shovel guys in and out and not worry about what sideline they're on, whether they can get a look in a certain package. Uh, I think this is probably a good way to do it. Uh, even though it's, it doesn't really boil down to an actual game. Like you would think of football. Uh, did we decide last year that the, the 
the offense was given a really good advantage with the system. What have we? I don't remember a single thing about that. I think so. I think we both thought oh, the, the offense should score more points in this, uh, and I think they didn't for a while, and then turned it on in the fourth quarter and ended up winning the game. Uh, yeah, but I think there are more opportunities there for the yeah, offense. I mean, like... I mean, if you're on offense and you're like, well, if, even if we have a mediocre drive and get a a, a field goal, that's three points. If the defense stops us at some point, that's only one point. I mean, if you don't turn the ball over as an offense, you probably should win this game. Right. That's it. And I guess that that's in line with Fuente's, uh, you know, mo. You know, uh, don't don't turn the ball over. You know, and if you don't turn the ball over, we'll win. Uh, well, based based on the open practice we saw the other day, the defense would have been just racking up points yeah. left and right. I yeah. mean, they were forcing turnovers and they were you know getting in the backfield, and I'm I'm sure they would have uh, had a few three and outs that would have gotten them some points as well. A topic near and dear to your heart, I know. Spring game attendance. You had to go there. You had to go there. It's all I care about. It's all the fans care about. And I know you're you're right there with us. You want to know. 11 billion people. That's how many showed up at the spring game. Weather doesn't look too good. I mean, we're taping this on Thursday and two days away. And what what is the forecast? 90% chance? Of rain? 90% chance of rain, I think. Uh, thunderstorms, possible. 64 is a high. So, you know, it's... I think that's going to suppress the crowd a little bit. I mean, that's it's like minor league baseball. The number one thing you want is good weather because people will come out for it. I think some people, you know, a good number of people will still come out because they're interested in seeing the, the product on the field. But uh, I could be very interested in, you know, going and seeing the you know, New England Patriots practice. If it's raining out, I don't want to sit out there in the rain. And right. I can't really blame anybody <laughs> for wanting not wanting to go out there and, and sit in that. How was the turnout for this for the open practice? It was students only. Sparse. That were yeah. I would have uh, described it as sparse, three hundred maybe. And then, you know, last year it was a really big crowd. Uh, the weather was a little bit nicer. It was chillier out uh, the other day than it looked. They were giving out free pizza last year, mm-hmm. which I mean, college students. I mean, free pizza is going to be the, the yeah. golden ticket for any kind of crowd. And yeah, you know, I, I think you know. That sort of new car smell is off the the program. I mean, people have seen what Fuentes' you know team has to do, and uh, this team maybe doesn't have as many stars as last year's team. The, the students want to come out and meet on the field, so you know I think all those things factored into it. There's no TV for this, right? No, nope, if you want to see it, you got to go. Not televised, not streamed. Uh, they had they had streamed it in the past, and honestly, I don't quite understand why you'd be this secretive about spring games. I feel like that's a good showcase for the program. You mm-hmm. see these, I mean, there's nothing to do in the summer on ESPN during the day. And they'll just like rebroadcast Clemson's spring game or something like that. Like, I don't care about this, but there's nothing on that. You know, I have to have something on in the background uh, while I'm trying to work from home. So, you know, maybe I'll tune into the Clemson spring game and, uh, you know, at least understand what Clemson is all about. I, I don't think they're doing anything. They're always very vanilla with their plays and stuff like that. I don't think they're doing anything that's going to be giving away trade secrets. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of people are, are a prohibitive distance away from uh, Virginia Tech. That's going to be tough to get here. Uh, so I, I think this would be a good way to just sort of showcase the program. And uh, I guess I just don't understand the, the, the lack of a streaming option. Well, I've, I've learned a lot about Oregon's offense over the years in poker rooms in, in the summertime in Cherokee or wherever else. And they got it, they just have it on ESPN because that's what it's on all day. And and there you go. You Do you really it. learn anything about Oregon's no, offense? No, of course not. Of course. I mean, the thing is, it's like, I guess the conservative, like, oh, we don't want people seeing our formations and stuff like that. It's like, well, 
they're going to see it anyway. They have a full year of game film from you from last year. I mean, that stuff is just ubiquitous. You can get that anywhere, anytime. You can dissect it. I mean, for the knowledge that these football coaches have of, of the game, uh, what they're going to see in spring ball, I think, is going to add so little to any sort of game planning advantage that you might have. That well, I, I just think the the benefits of streaming it far outweighs the the, the drawbacks of not doing that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if you're a rival coach, the the thing you would be looking for is the same thing we're kind of looking for, which is who's going to break out. You know, who's that player that we don't we're not talking about on this podcast? who all of a sudden has a big game. You know, you talked about Chris Long last year. I mean, people knew Chris Long's pedigree before he got to Virginia, but you saw him make a bunch of plays in his spring game and said, oh, yeah, he's going to be big. And and then you may see a guy, you know, a, a Caleb Farley type, who there's no film of him from last year at Tech. I mean, that's – who knows? If he goes off, then all of a sudden you start, you know, game planning for him a little more than you would. You know, just I'm I'm thinking more talent than schemes. You know, like yeah, more talent level. At the same time, that can be deceptive. I mean, last year I think the the top receiver was Jalen Bradshaw, or maybe that was two that was two years ago. I think, and you know, it never really worked out for him here. Uh, I remember when I was at Auburn, they had three quarterbacks playing uh, in one of their spring games, and the best stats were by Neil Cottle. Uh, second best were by Barrett Trotter, and the third best you know by far the worst stats of the day were by a guy named cam newton so i mean i remember after that some people were like man if neil caudle can look like this it's like <laughs> cam newton is the starter guys like i don't know if they were sort of sandbagging that and you know trying to put him in situations where he wasn't necessarily going to be successful does you know a couple days later they named cam newton the starter so obviously he had done something during the spring and the coaches have a natural eye for the six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound, you know, beast at quarterback that they have. That this guy was going to be the starter, but uh, you know, if you judged it just based off the spring game, you would have said, "Oh, I don't know about this guy. There's some questions about the way he plays." And he went on to have one of the best single seasons in you know college football history the next fall. So uh, again, I would take anything you see at the spring game with a grain of salt because uh, sometimes it just doesn't equal to fall performance. Yeah. All that said, I mean, what would be your number one? I mean, it's quarterbacks, receivers. What what are you just honing in on when you're there? Uh, it's always trends towards offense, and certainly when there's a quarterback battle up for grabs, that's going to be the the primary thing that anybody looks at. Uh, but this year, I mean, there are receivers that you don't know anything about or really haven't seen a whole lot about. There's a running back situation that, as we talked about, is is wide open. Um, you know. Those things interest me more, especially this year. See, you don't want to judge everything based on this one thing, but like you said, if somebody breaks out and really does well or uh, you know makes a really great play, and you're like yeah, I can see the seeds of success down the line in this guy, uh, that will be something that you take note of. Well, I know I'll be watching when Pimpleton's in, and when he's not in, I'll be surfing the web. That's pretty much it. We need the Pimpleton song by <laughs> Saturday so that when he's in and does something, we can play the Pimpleton Minute song. Please make a song, somebody. Ricky, Ricky Mast, I know you're out there somewhere. I know you you, you still follow the Hokies a little bit. I know you're a Virginia fan, but, uh, man, you're a song killer. That guy that works for the Braves now, he, he does their social media now. Oh, does he? And he's, yeah, he's, he's a master at the parody songs. and He can do the Pimpleton Minute. So if you're out there, Ricky, do it. ACC title game back in Charlotte. Back in Charlotte, no surprise there. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they said that Charlotte or North Carolina was again being considered for events after the HBA two repeal, quote unquote repeal. Uh, I don't think it really was as much of a repeal as a lot of people had hoped. 
Uh, as soon as they signaled that, yeah, they're going to consider them again, I think it was just natural or obvious at a certain point in time that it was going to go back to Charlotte just because it makes so much sense logistically and geographically in the conference to have it right there uh, sort of in the middle of everything. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about that? Uh, I mean, no, not really. I mean, they, they expanded the football contract through 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they basically get back the year they lost. Yeah. City of Charlotte does. Uh, you know, that's three years there. I'm sure maybe they'll consider opening it up after that, but it just, it's so easy for a lot of schools to get to. It's got a pretty good airport. You can fly in. Uh, it's just so central to everything in, in the league that, uh, you know, Orlando is nice. I think both of us would prefer it be in Orlando all the time because we got to sit by the pool all week. Virginia! Uh, you, yeah, you, you enjoying the fine weather, me trying not to vomit because I was so sick that weekend. That's right. Uh, but yeah, if if there's going to be a place where I'm going to be sitting uh, around trying not to vomit, I prefer it to be 80 degrees and sunny with palm trees around me by a pool than uh, you know in the hotel room in Charlotte. But that is a tough place to get to. Uh, expensive for a lot of fans. You got to hop on an airplane for most of the fans in the league to get there. Uh, you know, it runs into the problem that you know the losing team in that game is probably right in line for that champ sports bowl, which is, you know, right there mm-hmm. as well. So I, or Russell athletic bowl, sorry. Yeah. You know, don't want to hurt the sponsor there. Russell athletic bowl. So, you know, that sort of creates all sorts of problems. And I think going to Charlotte, uh, you know, it's a nice NFL stadium. It's put on a good product. You know, Charlotte, the city itself is pretty fun. I had a good time there at the Belk bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everything just makes sense to have it at Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good city. Uh, they have the NASCAR media event there. Usually I go to that every winter and it's, it's a lot of fun to walk around Charlotte. It's a, it's my kind of town. It's my kind of town. Um, Speaking of games getting moved around, uh, you know, the Stag Bowl is a game that hadn't been moved at all. That's the Division Three national title game that's played in Salem every year. It's been played for tw- – this this year will be the 25th and looks like final Stag Bowl uh, in Salem. They're going to move it to, to Texas and Ohio in the future. Uh, n- not surprising to me. The facilities here are no longer state-of-the-art as they once were. But, you know, it's sort of an end of an era here for, you know, uh, it's sort of a, a valley staple for so long, quarter century. Any thoughts on on the Stag Bowl getting moved? Well, I I think it was probably Mount Union and uh, Whitewater that lobbied to move it so that they don't have to deal with Mark Berman right? <laughs> on a yearly basis. <laughs> Get the the same questions from Berman. No, I, I it was a good run, but you know, quite frankly, I was kind of surprised that Salem had the game for this long. Yeah. Uh, you know, Southwest, our, our area of the state is not necessarily easy to get to. Mm-hmm. As somebody who's tried to fly out of Roanoke before, it's uh, pretty costly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always have to go through Atlanta or Charlotte. Uh, it just makes sense to put it in some places that are a little more accessible for some of these schools, especially, you know, there's never schools from around Virginia that are in this thing. Bridgewater was in it one year okay. and the place yeah. sold out. But yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a minute since yeah. they've had that, though, and especially with Mount – I think they're – Aren't they going to do it at the Pro Football Hall of Fame yeah. in the Canton Field? I mean, that's got to be really easy for a place like Mount Union to get to, uh, which you know, pretty good, pretty good odds that they'll be playing in that game based on the history. Uh, I think they're moving to Texas for one thing, which yeah. is not far from Mary Harden, which won it last year, was it? Uh, I don't know who won it last year. They played Wisconsin, not Oshkosh. Okay, yeah, they're just. Different places that I think are easier to get to and, like you said, have better facilities now because you know, Salem is what it is. It hasn't been upgraded in a while uh, to the extent of these other places that uh, it it's probably was inevitable that it was going to go this direction. Yeah, that was my takeaway too, that it's more of a, just a 
you know, it's, it's sort of a commentary on how long they've held it more than it is, oh, oh we're losing a, a staple here. It's like, wow, it's amazing that they actually had it this long. Um, and Salem's wise not to get in the facilities war with somebody in Texas or Ohio for this game. I mean, it's just not that valuable. I know they do all these economic studies and stuff, and I think they're always a little bloated. They're, you know, they're... We were we were at the El Paso uh, the Sun Bowl and we've seen what a community looks like when it really just embraces a game. I mean that whole place is filled because it's locals that show up and it doesn't matter who's playing. And that doesn't really happen for the D three title game. It's, no. So also the basketball. I think the basketball movement is maybe more. It's kind of a shame. I don't know. I I go and cover the basketball thing and I see the. Uh, you know, they got the banners up on the, the wall of all the schools. And you look back and like, man, all those things have been played. I mean, most of it. I think they, they moved it uh, a couple years ago for one year for the anniversary of basketball, whatever it was. I can't remember uh, exactly where, why they moved it. But uh, I don't know. I've, I've covered that. I've, I've never covered a stag bowl, but I've covered the uh, Division Three Final Four a bunch here. So maybe that seems a little more like a loss to me than the stag bowl itself. But uh, again, it's just, you know, Salem Civic Center is what it is right now, and it probably doesn't make sense. And they're not going to undergo a, you know, $20 million upgrade to, to try to get the game back here or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, end of an era, I guess. They got one more year to, to do it, right? One more year, and I think it's a, a really good opportunity to celebrate what the SAG Bowl has been over the years. You know, it's the 25th year. It's, it's a nice round. Well, it's an, it's an odd number, but it's it's divisible by five, so that makes it uh, sort of a nice round number in a way. There and I go. and I and I hope that people show up. I mean, I hope that uh, the place sells out. And it's going to be cold. It always is. I mean, this isn't. That's another reason. I mean, maybe Texas is attractive. You know, it's going to be warm. Uh, they play this thing on at night, so TV for TV reasons. So uh, it's hard to do in December in in, in Southwest Virginia and have it be uh, very comfortable for fans. All right, Louis C.K. We have to revisit it now. We have after to. last uh, week. I, I I joked last week that I would run a poll. You know who's more popular, and you said uh, you know that Brian Reagan was going to get crushed, and he did. Uh, Sixty nine to thirty one percent. Uh, 84 votes, 84 votes. So it's very scientific. Yes. <laughs> Huge sample size. <laughs> All of America weighed in on this this uh, poll here. But I've been thinking about this a lot because you you are very polished. You're much more polished speaker than I am. I don't know about that. Uh, you are. And you, last week, well, you were kind of hemming and hauling. You're a big CK fan, and you, you were hemming and hauling. You couldn't really figure out a way to defend him when I gave you that opportunity. You just how said, do you, I think how he's do you funny. Defend funny? All right, I'm, I'm about to do it. I'm okay. about to do it. You've okay. had a whole week to do this. Yeah. I had five minutes. Well, to it's actually, this is a story from about two weeks ago. Okay, we were at Bush Gardens, and my brother-in-law, who happens to be a Brian Reagan fan as well, we were in line for this ride, and there was a just really long line. And and he just looks at me at one point, and he just goes, "Merge, everybody, merge." Now, if you're a Brian Reagan fan, you know what that is. You've you've seen that bit. It's about him driving to the hospital with you know, but. If you're not, you just ignore it, right? You just ignore that. I'm ignoring you saying it right now. Well, but, but what I'm saying is, like, it, it connects us. Like, there's a cosmic connection that we have with our mutual like of Brian Regan. And you and I have a similar one with The Simpsons. I'm t- I told you, when, when my son was five years old, and we parked at a mall, a very, 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 very busy shopping mall, and he told me, Dad, remember, we're in the itchy lot. It was the most pr- it was the proudest moment of my parenthood. And I texted you immediately. I said, this is, this is big. This is bigger than I first I do remember step. that, yeah. And, and, and 
that's to me that is a huge component of comedy is being able to take it into the real world with you and quote it that's why movies like happy gilmore still work you know i mean like you still you still remember those lines from the movies and you can still dredge them up or tweet them and people know what you're talking about and you're all of a sudden you're connected and my problem with louis ck and i and i should preface this by saying some people sent me some clips including you uh, him on Conan and stuff. I thought they were funny. I, you know, they're funny, but there was not none of it. I thought would be something that I would ever be able to use in my real life. Like I never thought, well, I can't wait to use that Louis C.K. You know what I mean? Like if you, if someone just mentions Ja Rule, what do you? Do? I don't want to dance. I'm scared to death. You're gonna say that because you've seen the Chappelle thing and you love it, right? So you're. You're, the way that you like comics is on your ability to quote their jokes in a short fashion. Not necessarily short. I mean, it could be you know a long story. Uh, you know. Okay, but, well that's C, that's what Louis C.K. is. Is he yeah, tells long. He's a storyteller, yeah. and there are jokes along the way. I don't feel like it's necessarily a, a quick punchline joke with him that's easily quotable all the time. Even though I probably could pull some out that maybe aren't. Uh, you know, friendly uh, to a newspaper uh, podcast that we're doing here, language-wise. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I buy your argument that. I mean, listen, I'm not going to tell you what you should enjoy. I'm telling you what you should enjoy. <laughs> but you should enjoy Louis C.K. And 69% of the 84 respondents to your poll agree with me. Well, you you admitted off air that you've not seen a lot, Brian. And I would not advise seeing the most recent stuff. It's sort of like CK, that recent special is being panned by even CK fans. Uh, and I don't think Brian – I think Brian Regan's lost his fastball considerably. But if you go back to some of his older stuff, and I can I can point you in those directions, I think you, there's no question you'll like it. I mean it's the same – it's the same things that make you laugh and the reasons Simpsons make you laugh. It's just funny stuff. Well, I'll carve out some YouTube time to – to go see if I could watch. You did some see clips. the CK. Yeah, we talked last week that you were going to put that on your list, right? And, and yeah, I have a lot of things on my list, though. What did What did you think of the CK special? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I thought you said you did. see No, it. Oh, okay. no. Sorry, sorry, I misheard you. The little one was homesick for the first three days this week, so when she's around, you can't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> I can barely work when she's around. I have to wait till she's napping and then cram all my work into a two-hour period. So that's why you see a lot of my posts in the early afternoon, if that's the case. Well, Kyle Bailey ran to my defense on Twitter and said, called it like hot trash water or something, his latest special. It was what pretty, you, pretty forceful. What if, what if you like hot trash water? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. We should put that on the poll. All right. Let's end this thing with a prediction since we like to do that. Uh, who's winning the spring game, uh, offense or defense? And who's the star of the spring game? My brain should say offense because the scoring system allows for it. I'm going to say defense in the upset. Okay. I think the uh, lunch pail D is going to want to win this one. They're going to, they've heard the people talking. Probably not. They, <laughs> they probably haven't heard anybody talking. I'll go with the defense. I think they'll get a lot of turnovers, and that'll 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 tip turn the tide the other way, and and they'll win this thing. I, I got to think of a star. Uh, let's go with Adonis Alexander. I think he looked good the other day. I think he'll have a big game. Just the thought of these guys that huddled up in the locker room. No one outside his locker room believes in us in the spring game. I've heard all the talk. <laughs> the format you know, against think us. <laughs> thinking about my prediction, that's a stupid prediction because they have nobody on the defensive line right now, especially defensive ends. It's probably wiser to say offense, but I'll still say D. I already said defense, so I'll stick there. Who, who was you? you said Alexander? I said Alexander. Okay. It's got to be somebody who may it's, – it's never going to be like a defensive tackle. It's, it's got to be somebody who makes one of the – you know. 
highlight plays that you can see out there. I, mean, I think he'll get a pick or two, and, the, and then he'll be the MVP. Okay, I'll go the opposite, and I'm going to go with real deal Khalil Pimpleton as your uh, spring game It's probably MVP. a smart bet to go with an offensive player that has really easily – you know, easily identifiable counting stats. Even though they're not going to keep stats, we have to do that again this year. Do they choose an MVP in this game? Is there a voting <laughs> process? I don't think there was last there year. Be. I mean, I think historically they have uh, when Frank was there, but I, I don't think they did last year. Okay. It it seems like that would be a very Fuente way to approach things, is not to identify an MVP. Because, I mean, they're not even acknowledging that stats are happening in this game. Maybe, maybe to the team they would say, yeah, this guy – was the standout? Did they have some award that they pass out? But I, I don't think publicly they did last Wait, year. Wait, we got to keep our own stats. Yes. Crap. Again. Ugh, I mean, we're we're veterans at it. We do it at high school games, but still, that sucks. Yeah, it takes away from what else you can see. If you're worrying about, you know, was that an 11 yard gain, 12 yard gain, and then you you miss other things on the sidelines. So it'd be nice if they did that, but they're not going to do it. I also like the halftime tradition of the, you know. The, the Tommy Boner Award goes to so and so, and you know the Louis yeah, C.K. Award for funniest. They used to or... announce that at halftime. So I don't think they. I think they save that for a later date. Oh. now then they do it just like a team function or whatever. This program's gone to pot ever since Frank <laughs> left. I'm telling you. All right. Well, that hopefully that gets you ready for Saturday. We'll both be there. We'll be tweeting and blogging and everything else, and then we'll come back next week and, and break it all down for you. Hopefully, it uh, the rain stays away. You have a good time. Get some ales in you. Enjoy the, enjoy the ball game. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We'll see you next time.